Chapter 8 of The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Annie Rue. The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn by Mark Twain. Chapter 8. The sun was up so high when I waked that I judged it was after eight o'clock. I laid there in the grass in the cool shade, thinking about things, and feeling rested, and rather comfortable and satisfied. I could see the sun out at one or two holes, but mostly it was big trees all about, and gloomy in there amongst them. There was freckled places on the ground where the light sifted down through the leaves, and the freckled places swapped about a little, showing there was a breeze up there. A couple of squirrels set out on a limb, jabbered at me very friendly. I was powerful lazy and comfortable, didn't want to get up and cook breakfast. Well, I was dozing off again when I thinks I hear a deep sound of boom way up the river. I rouses up and rests on my elbow and listens. Pretty soon I hears it again. I hopped up and went and looked out a hole in the leaves, and I see a bunch of smoke laying on the water, long ways up, about abreast of the ferry. And there was the ferry boat full of people floating along down. I knowed what was the matter now. Boom! I see a white smoke squirt out of the ferry boat side. You see, there was firing a cannon over the water, trying to make my carcass come to the top. I was pretty hungry, but it weren't going to do for me to start a fire, because they might see the smoke. So I sat there and watched the cannon smoke and listened to the boom. The river was a mile wide there, and it always looked pretty on a summer morning, so I was having a good enough time seeing them hunt for my remainders if I only had a bite to eat. Well then, I happened to think how they always put quicksilver in loaves of bread and float them off because they always go right to the drowned carcass and stop there. So, says I, I'll keep a lookout, and if any of them's floating around after me, I'll give them a show. I changed to the Illinois edge of the island to see what luck I could have, and I weren't disappointed. A big double loaf came along, and I most got it with a long stick, but my foot slipped and she floated out further. Of course I was where the current set in the closest to the shore. I knowed enough for that. But by and by along comes another one, and this time I won. I took out the plug and shook out the little dab of quicksilver and set my teeth in. It was baker's bread, but the quality eat. None of your low-down corn pone. I got a good place amongst the leaves and sat there on a log, munching the bread and watching the ferry boat, and very well satisfied. Then something struck me. I says now, I reckon the widow or the parson or somebody prayed that this bread would find me, and here it has gone and done it. So there ain't no doubt but there is something in that thing, that is, there's something in it when a body like the widow or the parson prays, but it won't work for me. And I reckon it won't work for only just the right kind. I lit a pipe and had a good long smoke and went on watching. The ferry boat was floating with the current, and I allowed I'd have a chance to see who was aboard when she'd come along, because she would come in close where the bread did. When she got pretty well along down toward me, I put out my pipe and went out where to fish the bread, and laid down behind a log on the bank in a little open place where the log forked I could peep through. By and by she come along and she drifted in so close that they could have run a plank and walked ashore. Most everybody was on the boat, 
Papp and Judge Thatcher and Bessie Thatcher and Joe Harper and Tom Sawyer and his old Aunt Polly and Sid and Mary and plenty more. Everybody was talking about the murder, but the captain broke in and says, Look sharp now. The current sets in the closest here, and maybe he's washed ashore and got tangled up along the brush at the water's edge. I hope so, anyway. I didn't hope so. They all crowded up and leaned over the rails, nearly in my face, and kept still, watching with all their might. I could see them first rate, but they couldn't see me. Then the captain sung out, Stand away! And the cannon let off such a blast right before me that it made me deaf with the noise, pretty near blind with the smoke, and I judged I was gone. If they'd have had some bullets in, I reckon they'd have got a corpse they was after. Well, I see I weren't hurt, thanks to goodness. The boat floated on and went out of sight around the shoulder of the island. I could hear the booming now and then, further and further off, and by and by, after an hour, I didn't hear it no more. The island was three miles long. I judged they had got to the foot and was giving it up, but they didn't yet a while. They turned round the foot of the island and started up the channel on the Missouri side, under steam, and booming once in a while as they went. I crossed over to that side and watched them. When they got abreast, the head of the island, they quit shooting and dropped over to the Missouri shore and went home home to town. I knowed I was all right now. Nobody else would come a-hunting after me. I got my traps out of the canoe and made me a nice camp in the thick woods. I made a kind of tent out of my blankets to put my things under so the rain wouldn't get at them. I catched a catfish and haggled him open with my saw, and toward sundown, I started my campfire and had supper. Then I let out a line to catch some fish for breakfast. When it was dark, I sat by my campfire smoking and feeling pretty well satisfied. But by and by, I got sort of lonesome, and so I went and sat on the bank and listened to the currents washing along and counted the stars and the drift logs and the rafts that come down, and then went to bed. There ain't no better way to put in time when you're lonesome. You can't stay so, so you got to get over it. And so for three days and nights, no difference, just the same thing. But the next day I went exploring around down through the island. I was boss of it. It all belonged to me, so to say, and I wanted to know all about it. But I mainly wanted to put in time. I found plenty of strawberries, ripe and prime, and green summer grapes and green raspberries, and the green blackberries was just beginning to show. They would all come in handy by and by, I judged. Well, I went fooling along in deep woods till I judged I weren't far from the foot of the island. I had my gun along, but I hadn't shot nothing. It was for protection. Thought I would kill some game nigh home. About this time, I mighty near stepped on a good-sized snake, and it went sliding off through the grass and flowers, and I after it, trying to get a shot at it. I clipped along, and all of a sudden I bounded right onto the ashes of a campfire. It was still smoking. My heart jumped up among my lungs. I never waited for it to look further, but uncocked my gun and went sneaking back on my tiptoes as fast as ever I could. Every now and then I stopped a second amongst the thick leaves and listened, but my breath come so hard I couldn't hear nothing else. I slunk along another piece further, then listened again, and so on and so on. If I see a stump, I took it for a man. If I trod on a stick and broke it, it made me feel like a person had cut one of my breasts in two, and I only got half, and the short half, too. When I got to camp, I weren't feeling very brash, and there weren't much sand in my craw. But, I says, this ain't no time to be fooling around. 
So I got all my traps into the canoe so as to have them out of sight and put out the fire and scattered the ashes round to look like an old last year's camp and then clumb a tree. I reckon I was up in the tree two hours, but didn't see nothing, didn't hear nothing, only thought I heard and seen as much as a thousand things. Well, I couldn't stay up there forever, so at last I got down, but I kept in the thick woods and on the lookout all the time. All I could get to eat was berries and what was left over from breakfast. By the time it was night, I was pretty hungry. So when it was good and dark, I slid out from the shore before moonrise and paddled over to the Illinois bank, about a quarter of a mile, and went out in the woods and cooked a supper. And I had about made up my mind I would stay there all night when I heard a plunkety-plunk, plunkety-plunk, and says to myself, horses coming. And next I hear people's voices. I got everything into the canoe as quick as I could, and then I went creeping through the woods to see what I would find out. I hadn't got far when I heard a man say, we better camp here if we can find a good place. The horses is about beat out. Let's look around. I didn't wait, but shoved out and paddled away easy. I tied in the old place and reckoned I would sleep in the canoe. Didn't sleep much. I couldn't somehow for thinking. And every time I waked up, I thought somebody had me by the neck. So sleep didn't do me no good. By and by, I says to myself, I can't live this way. I'm going to find out who it is that's here on the island with me. I'll find out or bust. Well, I, I felt better right off. So I took my paddle and slid out from the shore just a step or two and then let the canoe drop along down amongst the shadows. The moon was shining and outside of the shadows, it made it almost as light as day. I poked along well on to an hour, everything still as rocks and sound asleep. Well, by this time, I was most out at the foot of the island. Little ripply cool breeze begun to blow, and that was as good as saying the night was about done. I give her a turn with the paddle and brung her nose to shore. Then I got my gun and slipped out onto the edge of the woods. I sat down there on a log and looked out through the leaves. I see the moon go off watch, and the darkness began to blanket the river. But in a little while I see a pale streak over the treetops and knowed the day was coming. So I took my gun and slipped off towards where I had run across the campfire, stopping every minute or two to listen. But I hadn't no luck. Somehow, I couldn't seem to find a place. But by and by, sure enough, I catched a glimpse of a fire away through the trees. I went for it, cautious and slow. By and by, I was close enough to have a look, and there laid a man on the ground. It almost gave me the fan tods. He had a blanket around his head, and his head was nearly in the fire. I sat there behind a clump of bushes in about six feet of him and kept my eyes on him steady. I was getting gray daylight now. Pretty soon he gapped and stretched himself and hove off the blanket, and it was Miss Watson's Jim. I bet I was glad to see him. I says, hello, Jim, and skipped out. He bounced up and stared at me wild. Then he drops down on his knees and puts his hands together and says, don't hurt me, don't. I ain't never done no harm to a ghost. I always liked dead people, and I done all I could for them. You go on and get in the river where you belongs, and don't do nothing to old Jim. I is always your friend. Well, I weren't long making him understand I weren't dead. I was ever so glad to see Jim. I weren't lonesome now. I told him I weren't afraid of him telling people where I was. I talked along, but he only ever sat there and looked at me, never said nothing. Then I says, 
It's good daylight. Let's get breakfast. Make up your campfire good. What's the use of making up campfire to cook strawberries and such truck? But you got a gun, ain't ya? Then we can get something better than strawberries. Strawberries and such truck, I says. Is that what you live on? Couldn't get nothing else, he says. Why, how long you been on the island, Jim? I come here the night out of you get killed. What? All that time? Yes, indeedy. And you ain't had nothing but that kind of rubbish to eat? No, sir, nothing else. Well, you must be most starved, ain't you? I reckon I could eat a horse. I think I could. How long you been on the island? Why, since the night I got killed. No. Why, what has you lived on? But you got a gun. Oh, yes, you got a gun. That's good. Now you kill something and I'll make up the fire. So we went over to where the canoe was, and while he built a fire in a grassy open place amongst the trees, I fetched a meal and bacon and coffee and coffee pot and frying pan and sugar and tin cups, and the nigger was set back considerable because he reckoned it was all done with witchcraft. I catched a good big catfish, too, and Jim cleaned him with his knife and fried him. When breakfast was ready, we lolled up on the grass and eat it smoking hot. Jim laid in with all his might, for he was most about starved. Then we got pretty well stuffed. We laid off and lazied. By and by, Jim says, But looky here, Huck. Who was dat as killed in the shanty if it weren't you? Then I told him the whole thing, and he said it was smart. He said Tom Sawyer couldn't get up no better plan than what I had. Then I says, How do you come to be here, Jim? How'd you get here? He looked pretty uneasy and didn't say nothing for a minute. Then he says, Maybe I better not tell. Why, Jim? Well, day's reasons. But you wouldn't tell on me if I was to tell you, would you, Huck? Blamed if I would, Jim. Well, I believe you, Huck. Uh, I run off. Jim. But mind, you said you wouldn't tell. You know you said you wouldn't tell, Huck. Well, I did. I said I wouldn't, and I'll stick to it. Honest Injun, I will. People will call me a low-down abolitionist and despise me for keeping mum, but that don't make no difference. I ain't gonna tell, and I ain't going back theirs anyway. So now, let's know all about it. Well, you see, it's this way. Old Mrs., that's Miss Watson, she pecks on me all the time and treats me pretty rough, but she always said she wouldn't sell me down to New Orleans. But I noticed there was a nigger trade around place considerable lately, and I began to get uneasy. Well, one night I creeps to the door, pretty late, and the door won't quite shut, and I hear old missus tell the widow she gon' sell me down to New Orleans. But she didn't want to, but she could get eight hundred dollars for me, and it's such a big stack of money she couldn't resist. The widow, she tried to get her to say she wouldn't do it, but I never waited to hear the rest. I lit out mighty quick, I tell you. I tuck out and shine down the hill, inspect to steal a skiff along the shore, some as above town, but there was people stirring yet, so I hid in the old tumble-down cooper shop on the bank to wait for everybody to go away. Well, I was there all night. There was somebody round all the time. Long about six in the morning, skiffs began to come by, and about eight or nine, every skiff that went along was talking about how your pap come over to town and say you's killed. These last skiffs was full of ladies and gentlemen, 
going over for to see the place. Sometimes they'd pull up to shore and take a rest before they start across. So by the talk, I got to know all about the killing. I was powerful sorry you was killed, Huck. But I ain't no more now. I laid there under the shavings all day. I was hungry, but I weren't feared because I knowed old missus in the winter was going to start the camp town meeting right out of breakfast and be gone all day. And they knows I go off with the cattle about daylight, so they wouldn't expect to see me round the place, and they wouldn't miss me till after dark in the evening. The other servants wouldn't miss me, cause they shine out and take holiday soon as the old folks is out in the way. Well, will it come dark? I took out up the river road and went about two mile more, where there weren't no houses. I made up my mind about what I was going to do. You see, if I kept on trying to get away afoot, the dogs would track me. If I stole a skiff to cross over, they'd miss that skiff, you see, and they'd know about where I'd land on the other side and where to pick up my track. So I says, a raft is what I after. I don't make no track. I see the light a-coming around the point by and by, so I wade in and shove a log ahead of me and swum more than halfway across the river, and I get in amongst the driftwood, and I keep my head down low and kind of swim again the current till the raft come along. Then I swum to the stern of it and tuck a holt. It clouded up and is pretty dark for a while, so I climb up and lay down on the planks. The man that's way old yonder in the middle with the lantern was. The river was a-rising and there was good current, so I reckoned it be four in the morning before I'd be twenty-five miles down the river, and then I'd slip off just for daylight and swim ashore and take to the woods on the Illinois side. But I didn't have no luck. When we was most down the head of the island, the men began to come aft with the lantern. I see it weren't no use for the wait, so I slid overboard and stuck out for the island. Well, I had a notion I could land most anywheres, but I couldn't. Bank too bluff, and I was most to the foot of the island before I found a good place. I went into the woods and judged I wouldn't fool with rafts no more, long as they was moved a lantern round so. I had my pipe and a plug of dog leg and some matches in my cap, and they weren't wet, so I was all right. And you ain't had no meat nor bread to eat all this time? Why didn't you get mud turkles? How you gonna get em? You can't slip up on em and grab em, and how's a buddy gonna hit em with a rock? How could buddy do that in the night? And I weren't gonna show myself on a bank in the daytime. Well, that's so. You had to keep in the woods all the time, of course. Did you hear him shooting the cannon? Oh, yes. I know they's out of you. I see him go by here, watch him through the bushes. Some young birds came along, flying a yard or two at a time, and lightened. Jim said it was a big sign it was going to rain. He said it was a sign when young chickens flew that way, so he reckoned it was the same when young birds done it. I was going to catch some of them, but Jim wouldn't let me. He said it was death. He said his father was laid mighty sick once, and one of them catched a bird, and his old granny said his father would die, and he did. And Jim said you mustn't count the things you are going to cook for dinner, because that would bring bad luck. The same if you shook the tablecloth after sundown. And he said if a man owned a beehive and that man died, the bees must be told about it before sunup the next morning, or else the bees would all weaken down and quit work and die. Jim said bees wouldn't sting idiots, but I didn't believe that, because I had tried them lots of times myself, and they wouldn't sting me. I had heard about some of these things before, but not all of them. Jim knowed all kinds of signs. He said he knowed most everything. I said, look to me like all the signs was about bad luck, 
And so I asked him if there weren't any good luck signs. He says, mighty few, and they ain't no use to a body. What you want to know when good looks are coming for? Want to keep it off? And he says, if you got hairy arms and a hairy breast, it's a sign you're going to be rich. Well, there's some use in a sign like that, because so far ahead. You see, maybe you got to be poor a long time first, and you might get discouraged and kill yourself for you didn't know the sign by that you was going to be rich so I'm by. Have you got hairy arms and a hairy breast, Jim? What's the use to ask that question? Don't you see I ask? Well, are you rich? No, but I've been rich once and won't be rich again. Once I had $14, but I took to speculate and got busted out. What did you speculate in, Jim? Well, first I tackled stock. What kind of stock? Why, last stock. Cattle, you know. I put $10 in a cow, but I ain't gonna risk money no more in stock. The cow up and died on my hands. So you lost the $10. No, I didn't lose it all. Only lost about nine of it. I sold the hide and tallow for a dollar and 10 cents. You had $5 and 10 cents left. Did you speculate more? Yes. You know that one-legged nigger that belonged to old Miss Bridshaw? Well, he sought up a bank and say anybody that put in a dollar would get four dollars and more at the end of the year. Well, all the niggers went in, but they didn't have much. I was the only one that had much, so I stuck out for more than four dollars, and I said if I didn't get it, I'd start a bank myself. Well, of course, that nigger wanted to keep me out of the business because he said they weren't business enough for two banks. So he said I could put in my $5, and he paid me 35 at the end of the year. So I done it. Then I reckon I'd invest $35 right off and keep things moving. There was a nigger named Bob that had catched wood flat, and his master didn't know it. And I bought it off of him, and he told me to take the $35 when, when the end of the year come. But somebody stole that wood flat that night, and next day... The one naked nigger they bank busted, so they didn't, none of us get no money. What'd you do with the ten cents, Jim? Well, I was gonna spend it, but I had a dream, and the dream told me to give it to a nigger named Balaam. Balaam's ass, they call him for short. He's the one of them chuckleheads, you know. But he's lucky, they say, and I weren't lucky. The dream say let Balaam invest ten cents, and he could make a raise for me. Well, Balaam, he took the money, and when he was in church, he heard a preacher say that whoever give to the poor lend to the Lord, and bound him to get his money back a hundred times. So Balaam, he took and give ten cents to the poor, and laid low to see how he was going to come back of it. Well, what did come of it, Jim? Nothing ever come of it. I couldn't manage to collect money no way, and Balaam, he couldn't. I ain't going to lend no money without seeing the security bound to get your money back a hundred times, the preacher says. If I could get the ten cents back, I'd be square, and I'd be glad of the chance. Well, it's all right anyway, Jim, as long as you're going to be rich again some day or another. Yes, I's rich now, come to look at it. I owns myself, and I's worth eight hundred dollars. Wish I had the money. Wouldn't want no more. End of chapter eight.